Fighting for freedom every day. You as the individual, you have the power. You don't have to join a union. You go in as an entry-level position. You get the experience that you need. And then as you work up, you get better at your job, which means they pay you more. If they don't pay you more, then you go to another company to show what you've learned and what your value is to where you can get more. If they really don't like that, then you can go and start your own damn business because we have a free market laissez-faire capitalist society allegedly, to where you can actually go off and do your own thing. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. That's right. Welcome into the program. It is a Friday, ready to rock and roll for another one, get you set for the weekend. Holy cow, the week has flown right on by, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. As usual, trying to cram as much as we can into a one-hour program, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station all over the country. Multiple radio stations, TV stations, live streaming, podcasting. However you watch or listen, we always love you and appreciate you very, very much. What up? Welcome in to another Friday episode. Before we get into the political issue, I have a beef to pick, a bone to pick with. I guess just the industry as a whole. The way things used to be. You know, the good old days when things actually were built to last and last and stay tough and stay strong and actually work and you didn't have to replace everything to buy something new when it went out you could just replace it i'm telling you i am so sick of having to get a new cell phone every three to four years it's stupid and i'm trying to hold off and not do that just before we went on the air i was talking to mrs voice of reason and she was out running errands doing some things and she had talked about her cell phone how uh, now this is the stupid way that they do this as well that you can't just pay for a phone have you realized that have you ever gone into a verizon store or a sprint store or whatever and you try and set up a pay you try and get your new phone get your new service they don't allow you just to buy a new phone anymore in order for you to get the discount to where it's not a two thousand dollar phone but only an eight hundred dollar phone you have to set up on a monthly payment plan So you set it up, it's like a two-year payment plan, and then as soon as the payment plan's done, conveniently, within months, the phones start acting up. It's ridiculous. Why can't you just go in, you hand them the cash, you pay for the phone, and then you walk out, and then it lasts for 10 years? Why do you have to constantly upgrade crap just because they want to do a money scheme here? It drives me nuts, man. We paid off our phones, I want to say, in like, I don't know, April, May, paid off the cell phones automatically as soon within the month things started acting up a little bit like my phone every once in a while i'll be talking to an individual and then i can hear them clear as a bell they can't hear me any longer i was like okay you know what maybe there's something clogged in the microphone something's weird you know have to call uh, hang up on the call try and call back and it has to that happens like two or three times and you have to finally reconnect and get connected again now my wife's phone of course the battery starts dying you charge it at the overnight Uh, on the little wireless thing because you don't want to plug it in all night or else that does drain the battery. But you sit it on there, you wake up with 100%, and by 10 a.m. there's like 17% of the battery left. You try and plug it in, and then it just barely maintains and it gets extremely hot, meaning it's about to die. I don't want to get new phones. We just paid off the damn cell phones. I don't want the cell phone bill to go back up because that's stupid. Why can't it last longer than two years conveniently as soon as you get done paying off the phone? And right about the time that you actually get the cell phone paid off, then you start getting the text messages from Verizon that says, hey, you're eligible for an $800 deduction off a new phone. I don't want the new phone. Hey, we can upgrade you to uh, 5G. Let me tell you something. I definitely don't want 5G. Thanks, but I'll pass. I don't want the cancer. 
I don't want the government to just like listen in on everything that I'm doing, which they're already doing to a degree, but apparently 5G, it's way even worse. I don't want them just being able to turn on the cameras anytime they want to to monitor. I don't want this new damn technology. Swear I was born at the wrong time era. Why couldn't I be born like in the revolution time? Or like in the Civil War time, post-Civil War, the Western expansion, where it was just you expanding out into the West, trying to homestead, trying to fend off from like angry rebels and raiders and sort of thing and, and, and you know, people that were just wanting to do stu- stupid stuff and then just survive. Why can't I just live that life? It's technology, man. Oh, you need to upgrade yourself. I just did it like two years ago. Oh, you need to upgrade it. It's totally out of date. Come on, man. That's my session of the day. That's my complaining session. Thank you. I feel better now. I can take a deep breath. <laughs> Namaste. That's Voice of Reason's meditation, uh, meditative center here. So uh, that's my uh, complaining of the day. I'm tired of the cell phone gimmick. I'm tired of you having to spend $1,000 every two years on a new cell phone because it's out of date and it stops working as soon as you stop paying off the thing. And it's all done. Bottom of the hour, Phil Kirpin, American Commitment. We'll talk with him about the Inflation Reduction Act. We'll talk about the Student Loan Forgiveness Program. We've had him on the program many times before and looking forward to chatting with him again uh, to wrap up your week. But let's get into our latest in what's trending today. What's trending today? Not only is it my frustration day with cell phones and cell phone plans and cell phone companies trying to take advantage of you each and every day, but it's also back to school time. Little voice of reason. She is excited. She passed her very first spelling test today for the third grade, which is really good because she's excited to do some special projects this weekend, which she said she was allowed to do if she passes her spelling test for the first time this year. So she passed it. She got a 100%. I just talked to her a little bit ago, or Mrs. Voice of Reason just talked to her a little bit ago, and she's excited for that. School is officially back in session for most. Not for all, though. As apparently, according to Reason.com, there is a about back to school in Washington, D.C. They're not quite there yet, but according to them, they're uh, the mayor in the city council of Washington, D.C., has apparently passed an initiative that forces all of the public schools in the area for all public education students age 12 and up to be vaccinated against COVID-19. Dude. Dude, I'm telling you. Mandated, 12 and up, all students in order to attend public school to be vaccinated against COVID-19. I thought we were past this garbage. Didn't you? I thought we were past all of this. I thought that we came to the conclusion that masks were a bunch of garbage, literally, total trash, garbage, didn't do anything, and not a damn thing for COVID-19 unless you had an N95 mask in some way, shape, or form. And those that still believe it, then wear your nice little mask and continue to wear it, but I'm done with that garbage. And then we also realized that, you know what, the vaccine has only helped a certain portion of the population, but outside of that, it hasn't done much at all, especially for a younger generation that is not affected by COVID-19. Why are we still talking about this? We're two years into this damn pandemic. The pandemic's over because we don't care about it any longer. And now the CDC is backtracking and saying all of the protocols that they put in place at the beginning are no longer necessary, even for those that haven't taken any uh, additional protocol or have uh, uh, have gotten the vaccine or just started going back to their daily work. Now that it's political season and the Democrats want to look like they're doing something productive and care about us in some way, shape, or form, they're backtracking on all their protocols. But yet still, there's a weird mentality here that says you can't go to public school unless you get the vaccine, probably dictated by the teachers unions in the area. Here's the kicker. 
40% of the students that are going to the public schools, or I think if it's more than that, the vast majority of the students going to the public schools in Washington, D.C. are of minority descent and are black. So here's the thing, according to Reason.com, the headline, 40% of black teenagers may soon be barred from schools because they're not vaccinated against COVID-19. So now we get into the trickling of what they've tried to claim on the other side of the aisle for the last two years is that the COVID-19 virus is racist. Can you tell I'm fired up today? This is stupid. The cell phone thing upset me, and now this is kind of upsetting me as well. 40% of black teenagers will soon be barred from public school because they're not vaccinated against COVID-19. Now, a vast majority of the African-American population across the nation has said they don't want the COVID-19 vaccine because they don't trust it, because they don't trust governmental institutions telling them what to inject into their body, which, dude, I'm right there with you. Thank you. It's about time someone stood up and said, yeah, I just don't trust what you're doing. Now, the black population said that, you know, you've experimented on us for hundreds of years. We just don't trust you. We don't trust. While, you know, many of them try to say that we need new social programs, they also say they don't trust the government injecting things into their bodies. And I totally stand with them, 110%. We don't want the government injecting it in. We want to choose whether we put something in our body or not once we know exactly what it is and we have some studies showing what the potential repercussions of that could be. And I'm not going to get through the whole repercussions of the positive negatives of the COVID-19 vaccine. We've done that for the last two years, and I know you're probably sick of it. But why? Two years into this pandemic, two and a half years into the pandemic, we're now still talking about a forced vaccination of students when students aren't affected by the virus. How much of an iron grip stronghold do the teachers unions have on the public education system and the mayor and the city council of Washington, D.C. to be forcing students into getting the vaccine in order to return? And if they don't get it, then what's going to happen to the students? Because I thought there was a mandate, there was a rule in the, in the nation, there was a law that said that students that uh, within that age group had to be attending school in some way or fashion or else they were going to get uh, taken away from the parents. Isn't there a rule like that? You have to go to school, whether it's, it doesn't matter what kind of school, whether it's public school, private school, homeschooling, something. You have to have some form of education or else, you know, CPS starts coming and knocking on your door to make sure that the kids are being properly taken care of. So the parents that probably aren't homeschooling that want to take them to public school are not going to be allowed to go to public school because they didn't get this shot. So as a parent, what do you do in that situation? Do you fight it? Do you just give in and say, okay, I guess I'm going to get you injected because they told me to in order for you to go to class? Do you try and homeschool? But if you're working all day long, how are you going to homeschool your kid, especially maybe a middle schooler or a late elementary schooler or a young high schooler? How do you do that? You can't. But yet this is the ty- the tyranny. This is the abuse that government has on the other side of the aisle when they don't care and they think that because you're in this box you have to believe this way and they're just in awe of the population not because they don't have the access and don't give me the garbage well the black community doesn't have the access to COVID-19 vaccines that's crap everybody knows it's crap it's strictly because they choose not to get it it's been out for two years now year and a half now you have plenty of time to get the vaccine if you really want to get the vaccine They're choosing not to do so, and now the government's strong-arming them because how dare you don't go along with what we're telling you to do. At the same time, while we're forcing it onto students, we see this headline from MSN.com, where Omicron 
has come out, or because of the Omicron mutations, that's the excuse that the CDC has come out and said that that's why the vaccines are not as effective as they should be. What? What? Hold on here. Oh, the reason the vaccine's not... So they just admitted, by the way, the effectiveness is not where it needs to be for the vaccine to force everybody to get it to try and fight COVID-19. But they just admitted that it's not only ineffective, but they're trying to make up excuses on why it's not effective. We need you to get it. Remember the whole herd mentality? We need to get herd immunity. We need to get everybody vaccinated for herd immunity. We have to get it, but it's not working because people are still getting it. They're still getting symptoms, maybe not as severe, but they're still getting symptoms, which means they can still spread it. So the entire argument for getting the vaccine is irrelevant and off the table here, except for your personal choice if you want to try and limit the symptoms and lower the symptoms of it. But they're making excuses on why it's not effective, and they say it's because there are too many variants, including the Omicron variant, that has changed the virus so much that now the vaccine isn't as effective. If that were the case, then why the hell do we have a, a seasonal flu shot? Why does someone get a yearly flu shot? Because they're literally guessing. They're throwing the dart at the board every year and saying, I'm guessing this is the strain of flu that's going to come out. So we're going to make all the vaccines that are going to target that particular strain of the flu. And then like 10% of the time they get it right. 90% of the time it's the wrong mutation. They're like, well, sorry, we still want you to get the flu shot, but it's not going to be as effective because it's a different strain that actually burst out at this seasonal flu for this year. So we kind of missed the boat on this one. But we still want you to get it. The COVID-19 vaccine is turning into the same thing as the flu vaccine, where they force you to get it, but yet it doesn't really do a whole lot for all the strains that are out there. Does this make a whole lot of sense to anyone? The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Bring some reason into your day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. So I was looking at some of the online messages we were getting during the break. And regarding the cell phone thing, yeah, I know. Back in the day, you used to be able to make things that lasted. We had vehicles where instead of just needing a new vehicle after, you know, your lease runs out or, you know, the fact that something goes wrong and just have to get a new one you could just replace things and you could do it yourself too like the engine was nice and open and it was built to last and you just have to replace a couple of parts and you could get it running there's still people driving around with 1970s vehicles 1980s vehicles that are built to last remember back in the day now i wasn't here unfortunately around that time for the 50s and 60s when like a tv would go out and you could just open up the back of the tv and just replace the bulb or something and that way boom you're good to go you don't have to buy a brand new cell phone or a brand new tv every time that it went out telling you it's the money gimmick man it's the scam to try and take all your money and keep you in debt your entire life that's i mean that's really the way the government's going but thanks again to the companies now they realize that and you wonder why there's so much waste drive me nuts i really don't want to get a new cell phone don't want to do it i am adamant against that on this covid19 front we're going back to school and many students and and, and school boards now are trying to decide how to deal with this covid pandemic while it should be hey it's over get back to normal man According to Reason.com with the Washington, D.C. district, where they're forcing students 12 and up to try and get the vaccine, they say that white teenagers between the ages of 12 and 15 are vaccinated at an 87% rate. However, only black teenagers are vaccinated at a 53% rate. For the next age group, 16 and 17-year-olds, 89% of white teenagers are vaccinated, where 58% 
are vaccinated of black teenagers. So at the end of the day, there's a vast majority of black teenagers that are not going to be allowed to go to school. Now, according to this article, they say that there will be some limited medical and religious exemptions from vaccine requirements. A significant chunk of the district's teenagers remain unvaccinated per current data. The number is significantly higher for the black teens, though. Obviously. When are we going to get it through our heads that you don't have to get this vaccine? I mean, they go in and they do mandate certain types of vaccines. You need your polio vaccine or your meningitis or whatever else they try and vaccinate you with. I remember those when you go to the school and like, ah, you know, if you just get that vaccine. But this is not one of those. This is like mandating the flu shot, which if you remember during the last two years, we had people advocating for. That we should have a universal always wear masks because the, vac- the, va- the virus will never go away, so therefore we should just always have it. There should never be an end date to wearing the masks. You should have to wear it forever from now on. And that this should just be included with the yearly or bi-yearly or quarterly or however you get your flu shot. I don't know. I've never got a flu shot. Uh, you just lump it in there and you just constantly get that. When it's not even efficient in Omicron, or the, uh, the CDC admits that because of the Omicron variant. And now they have, what it all comes down to, what have we talked about so much on this program, is follow the money. Follow the money. According to Moderna, they're actually filing a lawsuit against Pfizer and Bio, uh, BioNTech over the mRNA technology because they say that they copied the mRNA technology from Moderna, who they say and claim that they originally had the patent on. And CNN says now that Moderna is trying to file that lawsuit. Dude, you've made billions upon billions upon billions of dollars on this vaccine. And if it's really truly about helping individuals being saved from a pandemic and a global pandemic that's killing off you know, half the population, then who really cares who has the patent, number one? Because it's about trying to get it out as much as possible. But this is showing the money gimmick that's involved here, which is why Fauci's on the way out from the NIH, which is why the government's loving and just reveling in this stuff. And they're trying to make excuses left and right to defend the vaccines while still forcing people to try and get it. And in, in trying to scare people and scare unions and scare organizations into trying to force it on to mandate it for students to go to school or individuals to go to work or whatever else they're going to try and do moving forward. But Moderna now trying to get their piece of the pie by saying that Pfizer and BioNTech has uh, stolen their mRNA technology and how they made their vaccines over the last few years. Watch the system crumble, my friends, because we're tired of this. We're not going to pay attention to it any longer. We're sitting here laughing, not because of students not going to school, which is very upsetting and sad, but it's because you guys are crumbling internally because guess what? You see the almighty dollar sign. Phil Kirpin right around the corner. Stay here. With Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, you're listening to the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today on a Friday, getting you kick-started for the weekend. We're going to have our last call here in just a little bit, talking about the latest and greatest, getting you set for a weekend, trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five-pound bag, trying to rebrand the millennial generation. One radio listener at a time, multiple stations. Live streaming, podcasting, TV, however you watch or listen. We love you to death and appreciate you very, very much. I swear, I'm I'm in a good mood, I swear. I'm just riled up about all the stupid that's going on in the world today, which there's nothing wrong with, which there's nothing wrong with. Let's jump right into it with our next guest here. Excited to have him back on the program. 
What's trending today? One of our favorite guests to chat with here on the show. He is the president of American Commitment, which you can find online, AmericanCommitment.org. It's Mr. Phil Kirp. And Phil, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Andy. How are you? I am great. Always good to chat with you. I have a pet peeve, and maybe you can help me out with this one. Uh, have you noticed that every time that your cell phone bill and you finally pay off your phone, the phone starts acting up and you have to go in and get a damn new phone? I don't, I'm tired well, of I it. I actually have a worse <laughs> problem than that, which is uh, I'm one of the BlackBerry bitter enders. Oh, I'm wow. My I'm still on my key, too, which is like four or five years old now. And I'm stuck on Android 8 because they don't let you upgrade past that. And uh, mm. I'm just waiting for a new keyboard phone to come out. But I'm starting to think that wait might last forever. <laughs> so I don't know. Wow. Well, good for you for hanging on to the BlackBerry one and for the for the keyboard. I have I haven't seen one of those in a long time. So we got the two-year yeah, plan. Yeah, for it's the, getting pretty old in the tooth. And uh, the battery is not great. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to give it up sooner or later. But uh, I, I don't know. I have this bizarre fantasy that some company's going to make a keyboard phone again, and just in time for me, I don't, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I would hope so. I would hope so. Well, I hate it because we did the, of course, you know, they, they don't let you pay for a phone up front in advance. you got to get on the monthly payment plan now to pay for it, and it's a two-year plan, and literally months after you pay for the phones and they're all paid off. It's because they cost so much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then they start acting up, and then you got to go and upgrade. Well, I don't want to upgrade to the 5G. I'm fighting it tooth and nail, but now we're having phone issues, and it's driving me nuts. Yeah. My wife has got a pile of iPhones all over the house. She's got a million old ones. They got to upgrade constantly. I don't know. I stick with my same BlackBerry Key 2. I'm uh, I'm just, you know, it would be nice if a Key 3 existed or something (laughs) like that, but I'm not, you know. One of these days. Apparently, there are not enough customers to drive such a product existence. Uh, well, hold faith. It's got to happen one of these days. Talking about money schemes, which I think that's a money scheme right there. Talk about money schemes. Let's talk about the government's money scheme. We've just gone through the last month where we signed the Inflation Reduction Act that's apparently going <laughs> to lower inflation somehow. Then we just saw earlier this week the signing of uh, of just erasing, apparently, of student loan debt per user if you have a federal student loan. That's going to cost us up to about $300 to $500 billion. So let's start off with the Inflation Reduction Act, though. Phil, um, I I think I've come to the conclusion, but I want to get your thoughts on it. Is this actually going to lower inflation in any way, shape, or form? No, it's definitely not. A good rule of thumb uh, when a gigantic piece of legislation passes is just assume it does the opposite of its name. Mm. This works with the Affordable Care Act. It it works with a lot of them. And it certainly works with the Inflation Reduction Act. it, if it has any effect on prices at all, it will raise them. It will not lower them. And, uh, you know, that it's just common sense. There's going to be an enormous amount of additional government spending. Uh, it's got a few assorted pay-fors, most of which are fake and phony and gimmicks that will never happen, and some of which are very destructive to the economy, like doubling the size of the IRS and uh, putting a new alternative minimum tax on businesses. And uh, if you raise the business tax burden and you unleash an army of IRS agents, you're going to reduce the productive capacity of the economy, so you're going to have more money from the spending side of the bill, chasing fewer goods and services from contracting the supply side of the economy, which is going to result not in lower prices but in higher prices. 
it's frustrating because this is, and as you mentioned, I mean, this is kind of a regurgitation of a few bills they've tried. And Joe Biden even mentioned it when he was signing it, that he'd been working so hard to get this bill because it went from the Green New Deal to the Build Back Better plan to now the Inflation Reduction Act. It's like you said, no more than an investment in different government programs. But why even call it that if it has nothing? I mean, it doesn't even try to address inflation at all. It is green new energy stuff. It is the, like you mentioned, the expansion of the IRS and trying to find more tax collections. I don't understand how it's even relevant at all and why they thought it was a good idea to support it. Because Joe Manchin, which was the one holdout when it was called Build Back Better, and the reason that it didn't advance for a year after it passed the House, uh, said in about a million public statements that he wasn't going to do a giant spending bill when inflation was out of control. And uh, somehow they convinced him that all he needed was uh, to change the name. <laughs> they slap inflation reduction on there, and they say, oh, okay, great, now I can support <laughs> the thing that I said a thousand times I wouldn't support. And it was a nonsense thing. And by the way, his other supposed concession is this permitting reform, uh, which actually would be pretty good if we could get things built in this country without you know, 10, 15, 20 years of litigation. So I actually supported that idea, but... Um, I don't know what made him think that the House would ever actually pass such a thing. And, of course, now liberals in the House have said they will not. And so uh, if he actually believed that, he's an idiot. Uh, and if he didn't, he was just lying to justify his vote. Yeah, that is very true. What could we expect from the expansion of the IRS? They said they tried to come out and try to defend it and saying, well, it's not all just IRS agents. It's IT people. It's call center people. And they've tried to justify it in that sense. But at the same time, they've also come out, the Internal Revenue Service itself came out and said that they're missing out on roughly half the GDP in taxation and government regulation to oversee how much of uh, how much money's floating around in the private sector that they're not getting. Could we see massive amounts of audits over the next couple of years as they start hiring on these new agents? Well, they're going to double the, they're going to double the size of the IRS in terms of headcount. Uh, you know, the the total employees that they have now are like you know eighty thousand, and they're going to add eighty seven thousand on top of that. So they're going to more than double the size of the agency, and uh, they're going to nearly double the budget of the agency over the next ten years. CBO in their score said that the uh, the from a budgetary standpoint, it's a ninety percent increase uh, from the projected size under current law to what it's going to be under this bill, and it's a doubling in the staffing level, and. The reason they use it as a pay-for, the reason they say that this is going to raise money that they can use for the other spending in the bills, they say the $80 billion that they're putting in is going to shake loose you know, $205 billion, I think, or $204 billion uh, in additional revenue. And so they claim a net of $124 billion. Uh, I'm extremely skeptical that this is even going to pay for itself, let alone produce some huge gusher of new tax revenue. Um, it's very unlikely, in my judgment, that no matter how many IRS agents you hire, they're going to be able to defeat uh, the very good lawyers that rich people and companies have to make sure that their tax uh, shelters that they use are within the law. And so, you know, it's not, it's not, I don't think there are these massive tax cheats out there and they're going to catch them. I think that most of the tax planning that's done is done in a way that's, you know, with an expectation to defend it if you have to. Yeah. And so what I think really is going to happen, where they're going to raise money, and maybe they'll raise more than the $80 billion that goes in, and uh, maybe they won't. But I think that we're, we're really, most of the money's going to come from is they're going to send out audit, audit letters and uh, bills to lots of middle-income people, especially ones who run businesses who maybe have cash transactions where documenting everything's a little bit more challenging. And they're going to basically say, you owe another $4,000 from four or three years ago. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to look at the letter and they're going to figure out what it would cost them to hire a lawyer and accountants to fight it, and they're just going to pay it. 
And, and they might not even know it. It might just be a lie, but it's going to basically be a massive nuisance tax on kind of middle-income taxpayers, especially those who have their own businesses that are, you know, conduct cash transactions and have a high record-keeping burden. And uh, it's just going to be a way to extract more money from those people, and that's and it's going to end up being a big burden. And by the way, some people on principle will fight, and they'll probably prove that they don't owe it in a lot of cases, but they'll have spent a fortune fighting it, and uh, you know, of of money and time that could have been focused on something else. And so I think it's going to be a disaster. Uh, personally, the the only thing that might somewhat save us from it, Andy, is I I don't know where they're going to find eighty seven thousand people who want to work for the IRS, and so I think they're going to have some trouble uh, from a recruiting standpoint filling all those positions. Mm, that's a, that's an idea, too. How many people are actually going to want to be in that position uh, there? Now, in the Build Back Better plan, when they were trying this before and Joe Manchin was stopping it, in there, and I believe it was that, Bill, they were talking about trying to regulate and oversee through the government transactions, personal and business transactions over $600, whether it was electronic, whether it was check, whether it was cash, because they wanted to monitor that stuff to make sure you were paying your fair share in taxes. Is this taking it to that step again, and are we going to start seeing some mass regulation on our transactions at a personal level to make sure that if you're buying something, you're paying your fair share in taxes? You know, they don't have the they don't have the specific provisions written in like they did in some earlier drafts. I think they wised up on that when when there was a massive backlash. But look, if you're doubling the size of the agency in terms of budget and personnel, it's going to be a lot more people to get their eyes on a lot more things. And uh, there's no question they're going to be on the lookout for you know, excuses and opportunities to harass people and to try to raise more money for the government. That's the entire point of this plan, which is why it's so dishonest when the media and the White House says, oh, the Republicans are lying, we're not uh, we're not going after anyone except the rich, it's, oh, it's about billionaires. I mean, you know, they're like a thousand billionaires in the country, yeah. less probably. So, I mean, you're going to have 80,000 people just looking at them? Doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Yeah. Certainly not what CBO assumes when they put out the revenue score, which is what the Democrats used to you know, claim they were paying for the bill. I have a fear that at some point, Phil, we're going to see a personal IRS agent that's going to be just accounted to you, and you're going to be seeing an audit every year, if not every other year, and they're going to be handling like 20 accounts, and then that's just who they deal with, and they just file your taxes for you. <laughs> well, they do have, you know, they've got money in this bill um, for a pilot program, they call it. Uh, for the IRS doing your tax return for you and just sending you a bill. Uh, now, I think that's an incredibly bad idea, and I think if you kind of think about it, you can you can imagine why it's an incredibly bad idea because uh, they're going to make the you know they're going to make the worst assumptions possible, try to get the most amount of money from people, and it's going to be very hard to fight and say no 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 your 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 tax return you filled out for me is wrong. This is what it really should be. Uh, I think it's a pretty dangerous path to go down. They did not get it whole hog, uh, but they do have. You know, a pilot project for that, whatever that's going to yeah. be. So it's on the radar we'll form as well. Yeah. Great, yeah. It's Phil Kerpen, president of American Commitment, AmericanCommitment.org. Let's take a break. When we come back here, as we wrap up, I want to shift gears and talk about the student loan forgiveness, because that's another half a trillion dollars, almost a trillion dollars that we're going to see coming from the government. Who's footing that bill? And I guess congratulations to everybody out there that didn't have student loans, because now you get to pay on mine. Ha! We'll do that when we come back. Stay here. With Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today for the Friday. Last call, last few minutes here of the program as we wrap things up, get you set for the weekend. 
We're hanging out with the man himself, Phil Kirpin, American Commitment, AmericanCommitment.org. We love having him on the show as we talk about some of the latest bills. That kind of a week and a couple weeks here in review under the Biden administration, which I did see that their poll numbers have jumped up to 44% for Joe Biden. What? <laughs> what? As he is apparently on the campaign trail now. They think it's popular. They think he's doing great. And uh, he's going to go out there and try and talk and pretend like he knows what he's talking about. So is it because of some of the legislation that he's been pushing here as of lately? Uh, Phil, let's talk about this in this uh, student loan forgiveness. Now, I apparently made the really dumb mistake going to college because I took out private student loans. I did not take out government loans. So I can't even qualify for this even if I wanted to, uh, but apparently $10,000, we just get to write it off and not have an issue here. Uh, it's up to 20000 and even more than that, uh, he's changing income-driven repayment so that uh, it's just 5% of, dis- of discretionary income mm. uh, for 10 years if it's under 12000 or 20 years if it's above that, and then poof, all of your debt's gone. Uh, the... Penn Wharton Budget Institute just came out with their cost analysis of this. They say that the static score, the score if there's no behavioral changes, uh, is about $600 billion. The score, including behavioral changes, i.e. more people taking out more and bigger loans because of the changes to income-driven repayment being more favorable, they think it'll be in excess of a trillion dollars. So that's trillion with a T, a one followed by 12 zeros. Uh, what they believe this will cost taxpayers. And remarkably, shockingly, insanely, the president believes he can do this with, without a vote in Congress. And the law that they're using is a law called the HEROES Act that was passed after 2000, it passed after 9-11, I think it was 2002 or three. And you look at this law and it's like, because our servicemen are fighting and sacrificing and risking for us, blah, 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 all the, all the preamble whereas clauses are about our servicemen and then it says they it gives the secretary of education the authority uh in times of you know war or terrorism or national emergency to modify student loans and so they're saying aha covid's a national emergency we can discharge all these student loans a trillion dollars and dump it onto taxpayers uh or more likely since they almost never raise taxes dump it onto everyone in the form of higher inflation but one way or another the money that was spent is not going to be paid back, which means it's either going to be, uh, you know, a debt burden that's paid back by taxpayers, or it's going to come out of uh, you know everyone's pocket and higher prices from inflation. Uh, I, I think this is going to be pretty vulnerable to legal challenge, especially because you look at the memo they put out, uh, which makes this you know this ridiculous argument about the Heroes Act of 2003. Um, we just had a Supreme Court case in West Virginia versus EPA where they said that on major questions, questions of major economic significance, uh, Congress has to be very clear in saying what they want the executive branch to do. They can't just discover brand new programs in old laws. And that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, there's there's no possibility in my mind that the court that wrote West Virginia versus EPA is going to say that this is legal, what the president's doing. But, you know, they've got all the media out there saying this is happening, saying your, your loans are going to be forgiven, all this kind of thing. And they're setting it up, I believe, so that when it likely does get stopped in court, you know, it's going to be the big, bad, evil Supreme Court that stopped the wonderful, beneficent president. And, uh, you know, we need to pack the court or whatever. So, I mean, I don't think it's going to be legal and I don't think it's going to happen at the end of the day. Uh, but boy, if it does, what a ripoff of, you know, everyone who didn't take out those loans to, to 
you know, bailed them all out. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that with that case against the EPA because you're right. We literally just had a major ruling saying that these bureaucratic fourth branch of government entities are not able to make these massive economic decisions for the American people and for the private sector without approval of Congress. Now, according to when they did the press release uh, this week when they made the announcement, they said that Congress handed over that power to the Department of Education. Is that true? I mean, if you think that that's what the law in 2003 about you know, post 9-11, if you think that's what it was doing, then yeah, I guess so. I think that's a ridiculous argument. And I think that the same court that said, you know, that on major questions, Congress has to be crystal clear in what they want is not likely to be persuaded by that. Yeah, well, and like you said, I mean, the PR campaign's out there. So where if the court stops it or if it does go to Congress and the Republicans block it, then we're the most evil human beings on the face of the earth and not giving people the relief that they actually need. And uh, they've already set that stage to be that way. It's Phil Kirpin, president of American Commitment. Phil, always great to talk to you, my friend. Have a great weekend. we got to get you back on again here real soon. All right. Have a good one. Hey, always a pleasure, my friend. That does it for us today. Back at it on Monday. God, go by way too fast. We can have uh, three hours talking about this stuff, but we don't, so we'll wrap it up there. Go and enjoy. Try and enjoy the weekend. We'll see you on the radio there. Be your own voice of reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. Have a great weekend.